You are listening to The Social Hotelier Show, a podcast that inspires hoteliers to create meaningful and memorable experiences for their customers in pursuit of their passion. We share our views and experiences relating to hospitality, technological trends, and also relating to humanity. Here is your host, Sam Eric Rutman. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the back to the Social Hotelier podcast with me, Sam Eric Rutman. We have a great show today. We will talk about influencer marketing, the role of an influencer agency, and what to look out for when planning your marketing campaign. We have an incredible authority on the subject, no other than Sarah Safari, founder at Influencer Nexus. Welcome, Sarah, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, uh, it's an interesting subject, uh, which is, uh, and I, you are very few who are bringing up the topics in in uh, LinkedIn, which I'm following regularly. So it's very good that uh, this is coming, uh, these topics are surfacing because I think uh, several businesses and hoteliers primarily would not know the ins and outs. So I think this is uh, going to be a very popular show. So I'm very much looking forward to our discussion. So if we get started, uh, first, I think for our audience to get some background, if you can tell me about your professional experience and, and why you founded this company. Yeah, I'll try to give you kind of the quick three-minute spiel so it's not too long. I actually started off, you know, going to school thinking I was going to be a doctor, a lawyer. I grew up with very conservative parents who wanted me to take a very specific route, and that route being school. Uh, I was about to do my graduate degree. I didn't get into the program that I had wanted at the time, and I went away to South America, and I was in Bocas del Toro, Panama at the time. I saw a couple, they were working, and then after they were going on this like super cool excursion, and I was like, what do you guys do? And she was like, you know, I work online, and then we spent the rest of our time traveling, and I was just like, like just mind blown, because that was the first time I had just seen this, you know, you can work remotely and be able to do what you want, where you want, all that kind of stuff. So I went back home uh, and I started frantically looking up how to do my job online, which at the time while I was going to school was personal training. And so I ended up finding a coach. I hired a coach. I moved out of my parents' house. I opened a gym um, and quit my job all within like a two-week period. And so once I had done that, I had opened this gym. It started doing really well, really fast, not because I was smart and savvy and good at business, but because it was a lot of luck. And I actually at the time knew not much about business at all. And I followed what this coach had said, which he told me to open the gym. And if you remember, I said I was trying to go online. So I, I did what he said because I had just paid him a whole bunch of money. Uh, it did really well but I didn't know how to scale the business. So I was getting really burnt out working from 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. I had several nights where I had slept inside of the gym and I went on a speaking kind of retreat in Hollywood at the time. And I remember just being there and being like, I cannot do this anymore. So I came back, I closed down the gym. I went back to my original intention was to, which was to grow the fitness business online. I was able to start doing that over a course of two years. I, I had a lot of trial and error during that two-year period, but I figured it out. I started doing really, really well online. I started build, building authority, um, build, building my influencer brand and all this different stuff. And 
the business started taking off. And at that time, I had a lot of other colleagues saying, you know, how are you doing this, Sarah? What's going on? Can you help me? And so I started helping a lot of other people in the industry for free until eventually that turned into a company where I helped influencers and want to be influencers build their brand, build their business, and build brand deals. And so I had done that for about half a decade. And in doing that, I started noticing a lot of discrepancies. So I started seeing like, okay, there is a lot of lack of communication between the big brand and the influencer. There is a problem with how they're pitching. There's all these different things that I noticed and that gap wasn't necessarily being filled. And then that's when influencer nexus was born where I went from being on one side of the table, which was helping the influencer get brand partnerships to the other side of the table, which is helping the brand get influencer partnerships and build out their entire influencer team. Well, that's a great, uh, great journey you have had. And, and so I think uh, it's good to see that you found your place in this industry and uh, are developed a very successful business. And uh, so exactly how many years have you done the influencer marketing in servicing customers? Yeah, I've been doing that for about two years now. Okay, well done, well yeah. done. Well, for our listeners, which are majority they are in hospitality, uh, well-thought-out marketing strategies are obviously a vital part of uh, for a successful hotel, for a success of the hotel. But from your experience, perhaps you can divide a little bit more into the role of influencer uh, marketing and how it has an overall impact on the marketing strategy. Because I noticed uh, through some of my contacts, what they are doing there is that they, they see that someone is having a, uh, somebody hired the influencer, they put them on uh, doing an Instagram uh, campaign. Uh, it disappears, nothing happens. And then someone else sees, well, he put uh, this kind of a standalone campaign. So maybe I should try it also. Is that a smart idea to do that? Or what is your thought about how you develop and actually a, a great campaign where you're using an influencer? Yeah, I think... So there are a lot of ways to do it, and it's very dependent on the brand, where they're at, where they're at in terms of their credibility, their size, and all of these different things. But influencer marketing does not work best in a vacuum, meaning that I'm going to use influencer marketing as my end-all, be-all strategy, and that's the number one thing that I'm going to utilize to generate reach or buzz or clicks or clientele, whatever it might be and whatever the campaign goal might be. It works better within a larger scope and bigger funnel because what we know right now is that people think it takes on average seven times to make a purchasing decision, but that seven-time average that we know of when we Google is how long it takes for someone to make any kind of move or CTA, any call to action, any response, any engagement. It takes on average nowadays 32 times for a consumer, 32 times of exposure for a consumer to make an actual purchase. So given that and knowing that, influencer marketing, sure, it can work as an initial trigger, but it also works exceptionally well within uh, a funnel. So let's say, let me explain what I mean by that. So let's say you are doing paid advertising and you are then running retargeting campaigns and then you have pins on Pinterest and then you have uh, Instagram content going out at the same time and then you bring in an influencer as soon as there's a sale to be able to promote X sale that goes on and then what you do is you take that pixel content of anyone who engaged but didn't convert 
and you go back to, let's say, your paid advertising platform, and you use that as a form of retargeting. So now you're creating and initiating that trigger where the same audience is seeing content in a different light on different platforms multiple times because when you know the customer journey, you can be able to create content and create marketing that serves that customer journey so that you can get to the ultimate goal, which in many cases is conversion. Wow. I got to listen to that episode one more time to understand fully what you're <laughs> saying, but I think that's a, a good explanation. Uh, now with influencers that are being used in campaigns, there are so many different kinds of Influence. People talk about uh, the celebrity influencer, which of course everyone seems to know. But then we talk about the nano or micro uh, influencer. Can you describe what is the difference between these influencers and how would they? What is the best way to use the type of influencers? Uh, usually, hotels think, "Well, let me get uh, the celebrity to uh, influencer to be on my marketing campaign." But is that a smart idea, or what do you think? Yeah, hotels and, and everyone else, we all want the biggest, the baddest, you know, and that's typically how it goes across the board, whether it's influencer marketing or anything else. And I'll, I'll quickly break down the different types of influencers. And what you just explained is primarily based on size. Uh, and then we'll dive into the benefits of each. So you can have nano influencers, which are, you know, the smallest kind, which is 1,000 to 10,000. Then we have the micro influencers, which are anywhere between 10,000 to about 100,000. Then we have macro influencers, they call them, which is the 100,000 to the 500,000. We're starting to get bigger. And then the biggest level is, you know, anywhere 500,000 and above. This is what we're talking about, the celebrity influencers that everybody wants. Now, there are benefits, of course, of having celebrity influencers. However, uh, it's not necessarily the right time and the right place for everyone to have them. And in many cases, it is actually more beneficial to be working with the micros than, and the uh, nano influencers across the board. And so I'm going to give a quick example and then loop back to what we're talking about. So uh, YouTube and Netflix are both giants, media giants, over 30 billion plus, but they have two completely different strategies. Netflix goes for the biggest and baddest publication. They're looking for the biggest uh, people out there, whereas YouTube is looking more for the niches. They're going for volume. And so when it comes to hotels and hotel brands, the smart thing to do is to go for the micros and go for the nanos and go for them in bulk. And here's why. What happens is micros and nanos have a very, very strong community because if you're anywhere between 500,000 or more followers, the chances of you building a relationship with your audience is substantially lower. You're not going to be responding to those direct messages. You're not going to be responding to every comment if you have hundreds of them below every post that you make. But the micros and the nanos, they will be. They will respond to every single comment. They're going to read their messages. They're going to respond to their messages. And what that does is it creates a really, really strong bond between the influencer and the audience. And it creates an even 
stronger trust factor. Whereas the celebrity is, here's this cool person that I look up to and that works in different ways. The micro and the nano is, here's this person that I feel deeply connected to that understands me. And that strong community factor creates a really, really potent uh, brand, which allows other hoteliers who want to partner with them to have more of an impact because of the level of no like and trust factor that now exists between that micro and nano influencer and the uh, audience that they hold. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I've been following a social media strategist, you may know who it is, Ted Rubin, for years. And Ted Rubin is, speaks about that uh, developing uh, first a network and then you develop a community because the community will care and will look after you at the end. And it, this sounds very much like uh, that uh, the micro and nano influencer uh, that people kind of warm up to and they kind of trust uh, in comparison to celebrity influencer. So is it, does it depend on the kind of campaign that you will have, uh, if, whether you would bring the the multi hundreds of thousands or even more uh, celebrity influencer just to put the uh, your your image out there or how, how do you think it works? It depends on a few things, right? So obviously everything you need to work backwards and say, what is the campaign goal here? But also budget is a huge thing, right? Like if you're hiring the Kim Kardashians of the world, you're going to be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for that Kim Kardashian of the world, right? And so the idea is, what is the most impact that I can have, whether it's brand uh, reach, whether it's clicks, whether it's conversions, whatever it might be uh, with the budget that I have. And so if the budget isn't massive, then the goal shouldn't be initially to go after big celebrity influencers. And even if it is massive, it's important to do both, right? Here's who, where we uh, hold the mega influencers. Here's where we have the celebrities. Here's their purpose. And then here's where we loop in 20, 30, 100 micro and nano influencers. So regardless of that, it's really important. And even so, let's say it's a medium-sized hotel or brand or franchise, whatever it might be. The most important thing here is maybe we can in our budget get a couple macro influencers uh, and then have the rest be micro and nano influencers. So it's really important to just get a mix, a hybrid of both, and then really establish guidelines and the goal of the campaign and go off of that. The other thing is creative concepting is really important. So that meaning, what is the story behind the influencer's post? How are we illuminating the value proposition in a way that the client or the client persona, the audience can remember. And a lot of times brands will say, Hey, you know, here's my service. Here's my offer. Here's whatever it might be. Can you please post? And that doesn't necessarily do well because influencer marketing is very different than paid advertising in that paid ads do not do well with influencers because the audience knows the influencer. So if I'm an influencer and I'm going to go promote a brand, my audience knows absolutely everything about me. They know what I eat for breakfast. They know what I do for lunch. They know who my partner is. They know who I hang out with, what I do on the weekends, where I live, where my gym is. They know everything about me. And so if all of a sudden I partner with a brand and the things that I say are very disproportional to the things I typically say, the audience will be able to smell that right away. And two things will happen. 
the influencer will lose trust with their audience. And at the same time, the brand won't get any return. So it ends up being a lose-lose. It's very, very important to work with content creators that hold this at a high standard and that the agency or the brand itself, if they're hiring internally or they're working with this internally, to partner with influencers that already has some level of congruence amongst personal brand and them as a uh, business brand or organization. That's very important information, just sure. That's very, very interesting. Now, um, one thing which could be very interesting to also to understand, if you can help us to understand, is that uh, certain hotels or companies or brands, they may consider to do it in-house rather than hiring an influencer agency. Uh, can you just uh, describe the benefits of hiring an influencer agency and how they work and perhaps more importantly, how to go about hiring the right influencer agency for your hotel? Yeah, uh, it's actually funny because I uh, released an article on LinkedIn on this this morning. So uh, it's, it's good timing, but I think I think it's important to, you know, I run an agency, so it's biased, but I think it's important to really dive into the benefits of doing it internally first, because there are some benefits, right? And a lot of the conversations with brands we have is, you know, we discuss doing it internally. We want to, we don't want to, the CEO does, the CMO doesn't. And there's a lot of back and forth and sometimes even confusion as to what the right path is. And I think the right path isn't necessarily to hire an agency. I think it's what you want to do for your brand based on where you're at, because obviously the first thing is going to be cost effectiveness. If you do it internally, in some ways, it will be more cost-effective in that obviously you're not paying for the agency cost. However, in return for that, you're paying for you know trial and error because now you have to hire an internal team. Maybe you have a content manager or a CMO who's overseeing that content team who is building the entire influencer program because there are tons and tons of tools out there that give you background on influencers that... Uh, agencies use as well that is also well available to any brand to use. But it's not necessarily about the tool. It's about how you use the tool on a consistent basis because you're not dealing with software, you're dealing with people. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is learning, right? So if you hire a internal team to do the job, they're going to learn. They're going to, you know, go through all of the trial and errors. They're going to work with these influencers. They're going to see what works and what doesn't and learn from those over time. And that can be helpful. Now, in terms of hiring an agency, obviously the agency has reps. They've done this for a very long time and they know exactly based off of your brand, if it's a good agency, who to hire, who not to hire, who to work with, who not to, not to work with. They will do extensive research on your brand and find the influencers that are a fit. And aside from that, typically strong agencies have rosters of thousands of influencers because many of us um, do have a community of influencers that we can choose from alongside building new partnerships for that brand. Where I don't necessarily agree with is campaign-based influencer marketing wherein you hire a uh, influencer agency and then they say, we're going to run this one really big campaign for you. That can work in some cases, those situations being such as we're running this massive sale or here's this new year's event. And we want to create a, a lot of buzz around this new launch or this new event or this new sale, whatever it might be. 
great time to run campaign base. But here's my product. Here's what I want to promote. I want to build reach around the product in and of itself or the hotel or my resort, whatever it might be in and of itself, that the smartest way to go about that is to really build an influencer program. And what a strong influencer agency can do is really build the community, build the culture, do the auditing. They know what works and what doesn't. They know what red flags to look for. They know engagement fraud. They know follower fraud. They know past campaigns, how that influencer has done. They have worked with the influencers that are already within their community and they know how they create content. They know how to create storylines, not ads, right? Like blocking ads is higher than ever. It's something like 35 to 40% of consumers are now blocking ads on social media platforms. And so if we know that and we're creating concepts that are very ad-ish, so to speak, they're not going to do well. Even if it's a Kim Kardashian running it, even if it's a Beyonce running it, it doesn't matter if the creative concepting that's supposed to be really relevant to your brand isn't very strong. And so all of these come together instead of going through that trial and error, if your brand isn't in a place where they want to do that and invest in an internal team and take that time to really learn from those mistakes is kind of more so an instant guaranteed, here's where we're at. And then the last thing, and I think we're going to maybe dive into this a little bit, so I'll just brush past it, is compliance, right? You don't want to get into legal trouble doing your marketing or influencer marketing, which is absolutely important. And having an agency absolutely guarantees that you don't really have to even worry about that because those compliance regulations, which are changing very often, um, are the agency, it's their job to be up to date on those. Well, I'm glad you mentioned all these things. And it really, it really leads to that it's, it's a whole program, not just one, one, one time off campaign that is actually the idea approach when you're going influencer marketing. Can you share a little bit some thoughts about the, the contracts? Let's say uh, I, have a, I have hired your, your agency and I now want to understand uh, the kind of contracts that are being, should be outlined for a scope of campaign what are some key issues uh, that should be considered then in our discussion when we are deciding how to go about the campaign? Yeah, so inside of the contracts, you have the, obviously every single influencer, one of the last steps, once you decide this is what we're going to work with, this is the influencer we've chosen, the brand has accepted this influencer because we typically send out, you know, here's the influencers that have been approved by our roster who we think will do fabulous with your brand. Now here's your candy. You get to choose the ones that you want to work with the best out of everyone else. And so once they select, these are the ones that we, you know, we think are gonna be the best from the list that we give them, we contract. And through that contracting, there's uh, several things, but I'll talk about some of the key ones. One of them is going to be campaign timeline, right? That's very important because if you're doing a campaign based, right? It is important to know, you know, typically it takes two to three months to launch a campaign based influencer marketing plan. And the influencer needs to have a very particular timeline and deadline for that so things can go in a timely manner based on what was promised to the brand. The other thing is gonna be content ownership, right? So this means, okay, once the influencer creates that content, is the brand now going to own it? Meaning, can they repurpose it for what we call UGC, user-generated content? So let's say a hotel hotelier creates a campaign. They want a bunch of influencers to promote their hotel or their resort or whatever it might be. And in doing that, they 
want to keep the content, right? There are differing terms and prices that come with ownership of the content. And UGC can now be repurposed across your social platforms, across your networks, across even retargeting and paid advertising. Now you'll see um, all sorts of B2C companies using UGC, user-generated content, as their primary form of advertising because they do a lot better, anywhere between 30 to 40% higher in performance than any typical campaign because it's a lot more personalized and people typically on average respond to more of a personal approach than what feels a standard organizational business approach. And that's where UGC comes in. And then the last one is compliance. So in the US, that would be FTC compliance. In the UK, it would be ASA, for example. So having transparency and openness of paid partnerships. So what does that look like? Uh, on Instagram, for example, you would say paid partnership, you would put hashtag ad, and there's um, the di differing platforms have differing things where you can literally put at sponsorship. And so that way, you're making sure to follow compliance. Otherwise, you're committing illegal practices, which is the last thing you want to be doing. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So how do you measure measure the effectiveness of a campaign? Maybe you can talk about the key performance indicators for on a campaign and how to monitor the influencer's performance. I heard some horror stories where the influencer promised to post on his, uh, the, the influencer's Instagram account a number of times with hashtags and then suddenly it disappears. Uh, and uh, the hotel lets go. What happened now? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's actually really interesting because I've also had some brands that have come to me and said, you know, we have these influencers and it seems like many of them don't want to be tracked. And, you know, we've tried and some of them have a lot of resistance to it, which as uh, a person who deals with influencers all of the time and has now been working with influencers for over seven years, I find that very odd um, and to be honest somewhat suspicious because an influencer and I had just done an interview with an influencer with our behind the scenes with influencer series and I asked her this question I said hey a brand said that they were struggling with their influencers wanting to be tagged and she said that's super weird because if it was me and since I do do a lot of brand partnerships I want to know what I'm bringing in I want to know the sales that I produce I want to know the reach and I want to get credit for that and so if you don't want that, I wonder why you don't want that tracked. Is it because you know your page's actual performance? Is it because there are bots? Is it because there is engagement fraud? What is the issue? And so I lean towards the idea of wanting to investigate a little bit more when a brand does say that. Typically, most influencers are more than happy to be tracked. And the, some of the easiest way to do that is going to be through UTM tags um, or having discount codes. You see this all the time, you know, use my code, Active 50, use my code Sarah 50 to get 50% off, whatever it might be. And these are really simple ways to be able to track the entire customer journey and be able to pixel, okay, this person brought a lot of clicks, this person brought a lot of traffic, this person took three months to convert, you know, this percentage of their audience. Uh, you can take a look at engagement, you can look at how the engagement is, right? Because it's quantitative and qualitative data. So if I look at an influencer, and this is actually referred to in the selection process as well, and they have 100,000 followers, for example, and I see 30 comments, but all these 30 comments are emojis and iHearts and 
things that don't seem to be relevant with one word answers, I'm going to wonder how engages their audience really? Are they paying for a level of engagement? Do they even have a community that's strong or is many of this fraudulent, right? Or maybe they just have super poor engagement, right? But you can kind of tell the difference between what's fraudulent and where the engagement is absolutely low. And then in terms of like measuring, it's always important to be able to set you know, here's the KPIs, here's the campaign goal. Not every campaign goal is the same. Some people just want to generate buzz. Some people want to expand reach. Some people want brand awareness. Some people want a ton of clicks so that they can retarget via differing platforms like paid ads, which work really congruently well with influencer marketing. And so setting those baseline KPIs and then tracking whatever you set your KPI metrics to be. Yeah, very, very good. I mean, this is a lot of value you are sharing now. I hope uh, people are taking notes of our discussion here. Uh, <laughs> we, talk, we, we used the word fraud here a couple of times because I think there's that influence of fraud uh, that actually caught my attention when we had an earlier discussion because, uh, you know, the too good to be true influencers promising the world. Okay, how can you actually find fraudulent influencers and prevent them from hurting your hospitality campaigns considering you spend a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, and you use... Uh, by by then you end up with a a, a influencer that is actually not not having those followers that they promise or they don't have the impact on the community. So th speak about that. That could be a very important lesson for a lot of people. Yeah, to be honest, I uh, start. This was one of the reasons why I made the transition from helping the influencer to helping the brand because it was one of the key things that I noticed. One of them that we referred to earlier was campaign-based influencer campaigns. And uh, what I call that is the Tinder of influencer marketing. So just like Tinder is, you know, here's these one-time connections, one-time relationships, same with one-time campaigns for one-off payments, right? They don't do well. So that was the one issue. Now, if you go back to fraud, which is what you asked me about, one of the biggest issues I noticed and when I reflected on some of the agencies that were working with uh, my influencers at the time, I started noticing that they had past campaigns or many of them have case studies. They have their influencers uh, openly on the websites. And you can see that here's this big brand who partnered with the agency to run a brand awareness campaign, for example. But And they have eight influencers in this campaign, anywhere from micro all the way to macro level influencers. And then I see, let's say, 80% of these influencers have anywhere between a 35-40% all the way up to a 90% fraudulent following. And so the issue is that you see, okay, this on the front end looks really good because they're running tons of traffic. You're getting a lot of exposure. It looks like reach is really high. But the reason why exposure and reach is really high is because, because they're running tons and tons of paid for, which is like anywhere from 50 to 100 bucks is all an influencer has to pay, uh, for paid bots to run to these landing pages, making it look both for the brand, like they're getting the reach and engagement and buzz that they're looking for, and for the influencer, like they're doing the job, uh, the job that they're supposed to, and so they get rehired. But the issue is when you look on the back end of their numbers, you start noticing a lot of incongruencies. One, there are many softwares out there that can easily detect fraudulent following based on pattern behavior, and they can immediately detect that. That's AI for you nowadays. 
However, let's talk about the naked eye. How is it? How can you just find out by looking alone? So let's say I go on an influencer's page. I look at their page. I see, okay, um, it looks like they have 60,000 followers. And from those, it looks like this post had about 100 comments. And the post after that had two comments. And then there was 7,000 likes. And it seemed like five posts later, there was all of a sudden 20 likes. And so there are very obvious red flag giveaways that you can look at. Furthermore, if you look into their engagement metrics over time, really easy red flags are this person grew their following substantially and rapidly within a very short period of time versus here's this influencer that seemed like with time they were growing. And I'm going to give a very silly example because it just reminded me of this right now. It's, it's kind of like, here's this, there's a lot of get rich, uh, quick schemes out there. And so here's this coach who says, I'm, I made a million dollars in under one year versus the, the entrepreneur who made their wealth over a series of 15 or 20 years with a proven track record of things actually working, right? One is doing it just to get immediate more sales so they can actually make money for the first time. Whereas the other one is legitimate and has a track record of doing things the right way because it takes time. And anything that's overnight is either the 0.00001% of flukes that may have happened because they knew someone or there was some partnership and they had this massive shout out or it's the 99.99% of cases where there's some kind of uh, suspicious, odd activity going on there that you might want to look into a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. Uh, what, uh, can you speak about negotiating the compensations for the influencers? Uh, what, kind of, what kind of issues are there and what are something considerations one should do when you decide on the payment structure? Uh, because I think that can also be a minefield. Yeah, it actually is. And what you'll notice is, uh, again, <laughs> I've had a lot of uh, brands that will come to me and they say, you know, Sarah, we were running our own influencer program, but now they all seem to have agents, even at 20,000 followers. And they're asking for exuberant levels of cash for, 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 you know, whatever their following might be. And so oftentimes, not always, but definitely when you start getting to macro level influencers, uh, and even sometimes at the micro level, you'll start noticing, you know, here are my rates, here is my agent, can you please speak to them? And then eventually I'll deal with you once we close this deal. And so many influencers will already have their set rates that they want to work with. Right. So these are really more so for campaign based one off campaigns that, like I mentioned, I'm not really a big fan of. Now, what we typically do is we take a twofold approach, which is here's this value proposition, but it isn't monetary based. And here's this monetary proposition. And what that does is it increases volume, but at the same time allows for two different approaches. So let's say it's a hotelier and they say, you know, we'll give you a one week stay with your significant other. If you just come in and you promote our hotel, you promote the food, you promote the look, you all these different things. And then that same hotelier partners with different influencers where they give them here's this commission structure. And at the same time, here's this set 
wage. Or you can just start with a commission structure and eventually renegotiate down the line. So many of the influencers that we've worked with have originally been like, you know, I love this brand. I love that I can just make money with this brand uh, by promoting what I already believe in, which is like your number one way that you want to use influencers. They want to already believe in your product, like your product and all that. Um, and so taking that twofold approach allows for more budget and more reach, but at the same time, it allows for what we referred to earlier, which is creative concepts. So if I say to an influencer, I'll give you uh, free five nights, free seven nights, you can't necessarily say to that influencer, can you also make sure to cover it in this way? Can you, I want to give you creative freedom, but I would love if you could shed it in this light and take certain angles with the creative. You can just say, I'll give you seven nights for free, five nights for free, if you can post on it. And then they're going to post how they want to. And that's still beneficial, but it kind of skips the creative concept part. And on the part where you do pay the influencers, whether it's commission-based, whether it's a set wage or both, now you can outline contracts where you set specific guidelines. You have these calls about creative concepts, what works, what doesn't, how you would like them to create the product, because you do need that perfect balance. And when it comes to creative concepts, it's really important to give the influencer creative freedom while at the same time talking about the campaign goal, the message you want to get across, and the angle that you know works best for your demographic, because most brands have a good level of data on the customer journey, on their demographics, on their age groups, all of this. And so if you can use this along with unique value propositions of the hotel, of the product, to be able to create really strong storylines and creative concepts, it will really help the brand. And this way, you can get the volume of both while also having strong creative concepts that you can then reuse for user-generated content. Mm, that's very interesting. Uh, okay, I'd like to move on to another subject. Um, when you work with influencers, there are legal ramifications and necessary disclosures that brands need to be aware of. Could you give some key issues brands should be aware of? Because this is a very serious topic for many brands and for companies, the legal ramification. Yes. So it kind of touches on briefly what we've uh, already chatted on, which is just the issue of compliance. So when it comes to influencer marketing specifically, the most important thing is compliance. And every uh, different country region has their own government regulations as to how influencer marketing should operate. And it changes. It often changes how you do it, what hashtags you use, uh, what tools you use to make sure that you're indicating uh, certain things that you need to indicate. And so touching back on this, the most important thing when a brand is partnering with an influencer where they're paying them, right? If you're not paying them, then you don't necessarily need to be doing this, which is another thing that uh, can change over time as well. So let's say they're giving you free product. You don't need to say paid sponsorship. They're just giving you free product and you're posting. But if they're, if they're getting a commission off of it, if there is a one-time post that has a payment to it, if there is a set monthly salary that they get, there needs to be complete openness about that on the platform and on the post that they create. So they need to say, you know, at sponsorship, at ad, sponsored content, 
whatever it might be. So at current, that is absolutely um, important and necessary to be able to have that level of compliance and making sure in what cases do I have to do this, right? Um, and that's actually interesting because it goes back to the last point where, of course, if a content says sponsorship on it, it will do a little bit worse than a piece of content that doesn't say sponsorship on it because the goal is to remove the ad feel of the content. Regardless, you have to do it because these are legal boundaries that you have to follow. But if you are doing an exchange of free product or something like that as a way to get around it in exchange for you know them posting, then they don't have to do that because they're just posting because they like the product and they're getting it free from the organization. So it's really good and it helps to run both. And that's another kind of piece that feeds into that. Oh, very, very good. Okay, that's excellent. Okay, I have uh, two more questions for you, Sarah. Uh, advice for aspiring influencers. What advice would you give to an aspiring influencer looking to enter the business of providing influencer marketing services? Because I'm sure there are a lot of people, a lot of uh, people who are they, are, they love to be on social media, they like to they spend a lot of time there and they look up to the influencers and they say, wow, that could be my career also. So give some top tips what they should, uh, what they should do. Yeah, first, uh, understand that it doesn't happen overnight and don't try to take shortcuts because the shortcuts, you'll end up having to pay for them later. And in the long term, you will be taking the long route because there is no real shortcut. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing is finding a niche and then building consistency within that niche. So whatever you're interested in, maybe you're a lifestyle influencer, maybe you like travel, maybe you like fitness, maybe you're a skincare person, maybe you're fashion, what, whatever you are, build that into your brand. Third thing, quirkiness, personality traits. So one thing that we always taught influencers during the time that we worked with them is, we all have quirks. We all have certain personality traits that stick out. What are yours? Find what those are, illuminate them, and then make sure to showcase it throughout your content. Whatever that is, those are the things that make you stand out. Just like big brands need to find differentiating factors for them, you as a personal brand need to find differentiating factors for you. And then fourth, once you get to a point where you feel like you're ready, you have some engagement, you have some followers, Get yourself in directories, get yourself in softwares that offer influencer marketing, get yourself in uh, influencer marketing creator communities and agency creator communities where you can easily have access to many brand partnerships that will be a direct fit for you. And it's just like paid media the uh, sorry earned media the more that you do the more that you get and so once you start getting a few brand partnerships and those do well you'll start kind of seeing the snowball effect of getting more oh very good so my my final i want to also ask you about uh, your uh, personal insights uh, what inspired you uh, what inspires you in your role as as a founder of this company are there any books or mentors or who who do you look up to that uh, gave you that kind of a spark to do what you're doing now? You know what? Um, I, I, it's interesting because I've had phases in my life where I have been incredibly obsessed <laughs> with one particular mentor and it has taken me a far way. But what I've learned 
I would say with time is that the best approach is to have many mentors, whether that it be from a distance or from close where you're hiring one-on-one. I think that you can learn different perspectives from different people with differing backgrounds. And it helps you really diversify your own knowledge base and form into, you know, here's what fits, here's what I'm gonna take, here's what I'm gonna push away. Here's what feels like is a fit for my organization and here's what I'm going to push away. So long answer short, I don't have one particular mentor at the time, but I use a lot of different resources, whether it's an article, whether it's a perspective change, a mindset shift on a, a video that I watch in the morning, whether it's um, an informational podcast, whatever it might be, I try to nowadays, not like before, really just diversify my sources of content so that I can learn different perspectives and take what I find strongest and keep it. Well, that's exactly the, that's that's exactly what I do. I mean, I, I used to go through a phase also. I had that one mentor. I was asking questions and, and bouncing off ideas. But I think that uh, through time, I think the perspective changes. And then I think it's actually wise to look at very different sources because then you can formulate at the end of the, in the end of the day your own your own approach to things and you become wise and you learn how, how to go about things. Yeah, very interesting. I, I had one comment actually I, uh, when I talked when we talked about the aspiring influencer, I think that if there would be one up, uh, one uh, advice I would give aspiring influencer, don't ever buy these followers. There, there will be tons of <laughs> Uh, companies that are contacting you on Instagram, they give you the for the, uh, so and so much money, tens of thousands of followers. I think that's that's the last thing you should do, right? That, yeah, I mean, that's what my first point was really trying to refer to in a somewhat yeah. ambiguous way was don't take the shortcut, right? The yeah. shortcut, it's the same thing as anything in business, right? When I, sure. when I first was in business, I was uh, very young-minded and physically, and my thought was I made a lot of money really fast at that time. Mm. Like I told you, it was because of luck. And I remember my mind frame at the time was, I, I remember I had turned to my dad, I was like 20, 21, 22. It's like, dad, why isn't everyone in business? I was like, it makes so much money. And he just looked at me and he's like, you'll learn, right? And I did learn. And it, it takes time and, and real success, real wealth, however you want to quantify success for you takes time and it takes reps and it takes making mistakes over and over and over again, and just seeing them as a way to learn and advance yourself forward. And if you can have that perspective, you will be ahead of the 99% of people who will give up after the first or second year when they realize that this dream of instant success didn't necessarily work. So go in it with the mind frame of, I'm going to put in the work. And as long as I put in the work consistently, there is absolutely no way that I will fail. And that will get you ahead of most people who will give up very soon after trying. Yeah. I mean, there is, uh, you know, I lived in the U.S. for seven years, so in my early part of the career. And I remember that uh, it was very different from being in, in Europe. Uh, and uh, uh, U.S. was that you have to think positive all the time. Uh, if you have a little bit of success, make it sound hundred times more. And and I, I really learned that that's not how life is. Life is very different. You have to be really uh, realistic. Those points that you make now are so valid. And I, ho I I wish I would have met you when I was twenty one, going through the same things. You know. <laughs> 
You know what, Sam? I wish I would have met me when I was 21 too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Listen, it has been really a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Now, people who want to are interested to find more about uh, Influencer Nexus and how, how can they do so? Where can they find you? Sure. So if they want to chat with me, they can just send me a message on LinkedIn directly. So that's Sarah with an H and then Safari, like, like you're going on a Safari, but two Fs. Or if they want to kind of look into the company with Influencer Nexus, it's just www.influencernexus.com. Very good. I know you're active on LinkedIn, so I'm, you're very easy to find there. Yes, absolutely. Okay, Sarah, thank you. It has been really a pleasure, and I look forward to welcoming you another time to have another discussion about this very exciting topic. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I had fun. Thanks for joining us this week on the Social Hotelier Show. Make sure to visit our website, b8bhospitality.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes or Spotify, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we appreciate rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.